Thank you very much, Vuyo. Back, to, back on Monday 9 to 12, right here on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. It's at 12 noon and it's time for your Friday edition of Midday Live. Coming up shortly, residents of uh, the informal settlement of Kayamnand in Stellenbosch are rebuilding their shacks after a fire gutted about 600 shacks last night. And proceedings at the Marikana Commission of Inquiry are adjourned until Tuesday next week. These are another stories shortly, but first, good afternoon to Asanda Matsaunyan with the news. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Afternoon, Bongi. Thank you. A policeman in custody for dragging incident and Thai Navy denies allegations of opening fire on Burmese refugees. That's in the news this hour. Good afternoon. 36-year-old policeman Balim Peta has been remanded in custody and will appear in court again next week Wednesday. He has been charged with assault and attempted murder in connection with an incident earlier this month when he allegedly dragged a member of the public next to a police van. The victim, court interpreter Morgan Mulala, at the local court in Mahikeng, sustained injuries to his feet. It is alleged that a quarrel ensued between Peta and Mulala at a local tuck shop in Sitlopo village in Mahikeng. Gang. Mutlala was subsequently assaulted. The family of former boxing champion Corey Sanders says they are glad a fourth suspect has been identified, but at the same time are frustrated with the long postponement. Samuel Mabena, Chris Moyo and Pida Fish appeared on a charge of murder with aggravated circumstances in the Brits Magistrate's Court today. State advocate Patrick Lipondo says the fourth suspect was arrested in Zimbabwe. Sanders' brother Mike says they have mixed feelings at the moment. We're glad about the fact that there was a fourth person arrested that could be uh, traced to the to the um, uh, uh, what happened. Um, on the one side, uh, the fact that a postponement, a long postponement, is, is due for further investigation, that's not good, because uh, as you know, uh, we're going through through stuff, and we would like to have closure. President Jacob Zuma says Zimbabwe's referendum, which will be held tomorrow, must be peaceful. The referendum on a proposed constitution follows four years of prolonged negotiations between that country's political rivals, facilitated by Pretoria on behalf of SADC. Zuma's advisor, Lindiwe Zulu, is in Harare to observe the referendum. And according to the Zimbabwe Electoral Commission, it's all systems go. As far as the SADC and the facilitator, President Jacob Zuma, is concerned, the referendum has to be under peaceful conditions. We are happy that what we have heard from the principals is that all political parties have been calling for a peaceful referendum. The Environmental Affairs Department says a total of 158 rhino have been poached since the beginning of the year. The department said in a statement that 116 rhino have been poached in the Kruger National Park, while 13 have been poached in Northwest, 12 in KwaZulu-Natal, 9 in Pumalanga and 8 in Limpopo. 61 people have been arrested, 38 of them alleged poachers and 3 alleged couriers. Over 630 rhino were killed by poachers in 2012. Thousands of catfish or barbels have perished at Royfontein Farm a few kilometers outside Kimberley in the Northern Cape. It is believed the fish died due to the heat and soaring temperatures. The farm's manager, Dub Dupria. Well, basically nothing. The, the, it, it, it was a very difficult situation. The, the only way you could get rid of the, the, let's call it, unhealthy situation was to put lime on them and then sand on them. But uh, we believe, or we might believe, that there might be living ones underneath. 
uh, because if you, if you dig there, they, you find that they're lying four or five deep. So there are a lot of fish underneath those that you see. Overseas, the Thai Navy has denied allegations that its personnel have opened fire on a group of Burmese refugees, killing several of them. The commander of the Thai Navy says the allegations are impossible as the Navy could never be so ruthless. The BBC's Jonathan Lead reports from Bangkok. Local villagers on Thailand's Andaman coast have told journalists and human rights workers that they've seen several bodies in the water following an incident last month when Thai Navy personnel opened fire on a boatload of Rohingyas they detained. The villagers said they'd sheltered four Rohingya men who'd escaped after the incident. Back home and with news just in, at least 10 passengers have died in a bus accident on the N1 near the Dorans in the Hex River Valley. Western Cape Traffic Chief Kenny Africa says the driver apparently lost control of the bus. He says the bus was en route from Johannesburg to Cape Town. Recapping the top story, 36-year-old policeman Bali Peta has been remanded in custody and will appear in court again next week, Wednesday. For SAFM News, I'm Asanda Matsaunyane. Headlines at 12.30. Back to you, Bongi. Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. Thank you very much, Asanda. Six and a half minutes past 12. This is Midday Live on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader, available 104 to 107 nationwide. Uh, President Jacob Zuma saying that Zimbabwe's referendum, which will be held tomorrow, must be peaceful. The referendum on a proposed constitution follows four years of prolonged negotiations between that country's political rivals facilitated by Pretoria on behalf of SADC. So we'll be going to our reporter Matlatsa Kalins there in Zimbabwe, but also we'll be talking to an analyst just to look ahead to the vote tomorrow. And today is Friday, so we ask you to give us uh, what, in your view, uh, was uh, the top story of the week. Police Minister Natim Tetua was in Davidson yesterday to meet the community there at the back of uh, that story. you remember uh, Mido Masia. Uh, the Mozambican taxi driver who died in the police cells and uh, National Commissioner Ria Pieja taking the stand at the Marikana Commission of Inquiry uh, was there. Those two, your top stories. The newly elected Pope Francis has made his first papal uh, speech to the world. Uh, 76-year-old Jorge Mario uh, Bergoglio of Argentina was named the new Pope of the Saint Peter Squ- at the St. Peter's Square uh, in the Vatican uh, that was uh, yesterday. So uh, what do you make of uh, this? That was day before yesterday. But also, we hear of a Castle Matale, Limpopo Premier, offering to leave office but uh, stay on uh, as uh, the ANC chair in that province. What is your top story of the week? You can SMS us on 34701. Otherwise, you can uh, send us a tweet or tweet us at Gwalabi News. Right, let's go to our top story this hour. Two people are reportedly dead due to a fire that gutted about 600 shacks at the informal settlement of Kam Nandi in Stellenbosch in Cape Town last night. Residents are currently trying to rebuild their shacks. Fire officials say the cause of the blaze is being investigated. Our reporter is Sisanda Ngwala and she joins us on the line. Good afternoon to you, Sisanda. Good afternoon. Talk us through the current situation right now. Uh, uh, informal settlement residents are trying to rebuild their lo- lives, rebuilding their shacks as well. 
Yes, um, residents there say that since around 11 p.m. last night, they've been trying to save and salvage their belongings. When we arrived at Kayam Nandi, the street leading into the informal settlement was strewn with beds, with cupboards, with clothes, electrical appliances, and um, all that was left basically of the approximately 600 shacks that had been there were pieces of burnt wood and corrugated iron. And the residents have started to immediately rebuild their shacks, many of them saying life must go on. You're saying uh, there were about 600 shacks and all of them were were gutted by fire. So so the, the, the place now has been flattened by fire, so so to speak. It, it definitely had been flattened by fire, but as we arrived, the residents had already started rebuilding. So a few shacks here and there, a few um, frames here and there were already being erected. Mm. And uh, we understand that two people died uh, during this uh, fire. Talk us through that. Yes, we understand that two people died in the fire. We're not really sure of the exact cause of the incident, um, but those are the only fatalities that have been reported so far. Any assistance from government, from uh, the uh, local municipality there? Yes, we spoke to the mayor of the Stellenbosch municipality, Conrad Sidego, and he said that um, as an immediate form of relief, the residents are going to be housed in community halls and they'll be given food packages at least until the end of the weekend and then they'll reassess the situation going forward. We also spoke to residents who said that the fire wouldn't have happened if they hadn't been living in, in, in shacks. So we asked, we put this to the mayor who said that the housing problem is quite serious in the area. Around They, they have a backlog of around 25,000. So he said that that would be something they'd be looking into. And uh, with the winter approaching, really, you're going to be seeing a lot of these fires, particularly in the, she- in the informal settlements. Indeed, and residents were also saying that this is not the first time a fire of this magnitude has happened. So they definitely want to see the authorities doing something soon because, like you said, winter is approaching. And uh, I would assume people there lost everything that they have. IDs, very important. Those who get social grants, it's going to be problematic. Home affairs, are they there? When we were there, the the first responders had been the fire department as well as the mayor, but we assume that um, all the other officials that are needed to attend to the situation will be brought on board. And we don't know the cause of this fire? We understand, um, according to the spokesperson, um, Vernon Bowers, that um, they believe that a a person had been cooking using a paraffin stove at around 11, 12 last night. The stove then toppled over, and that is what they believe started the blaze. We thank you very much, uh, our reporter, Sisanda Nguala, in in Cape Town, uh, about uh, that fire that uh, killed two people, we told. 11 minutes past 12, this is uh, Midday Live on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Let's go to the Northwest Province now. Proceedings at the Marikana Commission of Inquiry have been adjourned until Tuesday next week. This is to allow parties to prepare for their cross-examinations of the National Police Commissioner General Ria Piecha. Legal parties have indicated that they are underprepared as they only found out this week that Pieja would be the police's first witness. Let's uh, talk now to our reporter Pumzile Mlangeni. Good afternoon to you. Afternoon, Bongi. Just uh, talk us through the this postponement. What, what what do you know about it? 
Well, the reason mainly that uh, the legal representatives have indicated is that they only discovered on Tuesday that Ariat Yeha will now become the first witness for the police because according to the police's witness list, Ariat Yeha was supposed to be the last witness to testify for the police services. So basically there are reasons for them to, to ask for a postponement to prepare themselves to, to, for, for the cross-examination next next week as Pierre concluded and leading with evidence yesterday and it was we were anticipating that um she will continue today but uh, legal counsel for the police advocates will continue to lead with evidence today so uh, probably he ended quicker than uh, we thought we all thought that it was going to continue today and we would actually see Pierre have been cross-examined on Monday so what they came, they came to a conclusion that because of Pierre was not supposed was you know initially supposed to have to testify the last, they were not prepared. So the the the, um, the Chaperson's uh, Commission granted the the, the 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 break, and that we should uh, come back the next week Tuesday. But also, uh, Pubzile, it points to the parties really wanting to make sure that they leave no stone unturned, so to speak, when they uh, grill, uh, as it were, General Ria Pieja there. And and also, you, you, you saw yesterday the parties being fiery. Uh, the, Advocate George Bezos being the first one really to... Uh, to uh, register his unhappiness on how Ria Pecha was being was being questioned by by the police legal team there mm, yes Wongi. Uh, even because uh, the, the evidence leader advocate Majanga was supposed to be the one who cross-examined Pecha first but he's the one who came out actually and said no che we are not prepared but Bezos was prepared he said he's more than prepared let's just continue because for him he, he seems so ready more than everyone he we are anticipating a very very interesting uh, cross-examination from George Bezos especially after seeing that video footage where the, the police commissioner was commending the police for doing a, 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 a job well done after that you could see that Bezos was ready to 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 take on Pierre, but that's when uh, Judge Ian Falem said, "No, yes, Bezos is ready, but other teams are not. Better all, it's better if they all prepared and came at once. Because what if he finishes uh, earlier than we thought, and then yet again it would result in another postponement? So that's what he said. And obviously, all the legal teams, especially the families, because they've also expressed, you know." Um, satisfaction on that the, the commissioner you know only apologized yesterday to the families at the commission and we expect you know a very very uh interesting cross-examination coming from the families also the minors so it's it's it's, it's promising to be a very very interesting week next week and who will start with the cross-examination well for now Bezos volunteered to start but we, we it's not clear whether it has been confirmed that they will allow him to start. But initially uh evidence leaders were the ones who were going to start to cross examine Pierre and that's when you'll see the other legal teams coming up. So basically what we'll see on Monday, whether it's Bezos who will start to cross examine or it will be the evidence leaders. Thank you very much to our reporter Pumzile Mlangeni at fifteen minutes past twelve. Midday live on SAFM. 104 to 107.
Our top story this hour, 36-year-old policeman Mbali Peta has been remanded in custody and will appear in the Moloto Magistrates Court again next week, Wednesday. Looking at the markets at this hour, the gold is trading at $1,593.91 an ounce. Platinum is trading at $1,587.25 an ounce. The rand is trading at 9 rand 17 cents against the US dollar at 13.89 to the pound and 11.97 to the euro. If you're looking for the key to sustainable service delivery in your municipality, then be at the IMFO audit and risk in Daba. This year's theme is good governance with a focus on internal controls and fraud prevention measures in municipalities as well as performance management. Book the 8th to the 10th of April 2013 for the IMFO audit and risk in Daba at the Lord Charles Hotel Somerset West Cape Town. For more information, go to imfo.co.za and take the next step and join the leaders of municipal finance excellence. The Independent Communications Authority of South Africa, ICASA, will celebrate the World Consumer Rights Day national campaigns from the 15th to the 27th of March 2013 in all the provinces of South Africa. The theme for 2013 is Consumer Justice Now. ICASA has collaborated with industry stakeholders traditional leaders and local municipalities in order to promote a cohesive theme and messages during these campaigns. Importantly, key education and awareness information to the public and consumers will focus on the right to access communication services, benefits of consumer choice, consumer regulations, compliance processes, complaints handling processes, and opportunities available in respect to corporate social responsibilities and investment offered by licensees. This message was brought to you by the Independent Communications Authority of South Africa. Hi there, come in, come in. Wow, this is nice. Do you visit here often? Every four weeks. Sure, you must really like this place. I do. Why are you leaving? My master didn't renew my rental agreement. Now I have to find somewhere else. Shame, where will you go? My master has a dirty golf ball I can go to. Oh, you poor electricity boo. Go on, give your post a home. Renew your post box today. Call the South African Post Office on 0860-086-860 or go to epostal.co.za. The South African Post Office. We deliver whatever it takes. Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. To Zimbabwe now, where Zimbabweans will vote on a new constitution in a referendum set for tomorrow, a landmark development that could shape the destiny of that country. This will help replace the present Lancaster House constitution, which was negotiated in London before independence and has been amended 19 times since 1980. The draft constitution proposes a number of sweeping measures, including increasing the number of women in decision-making positions. Some of the key highlights of the draft constitution are that it continues to vest executive authority in the president, who is head of state and government and commander-in-chief of the defense forces there. For more on this now, we joined on the line by our senior political reporter from Harare, Matlase Kalens. Good afternoon to you, Matlase. Atlaza, are you with us? 
All right, uh, Matlaza Gallens will be talking to us uh, shortly, but also we'll be talking, in fact, we did uh, talk to Ibo Mandaza. He's an independent political analyst who will be unpacking uh, this situation for us as well. Uh, but uh, let's see if uh, Matlaza Gallens is on the line. Matlaza Gallens, are you on the line for us? No, Matlaza is not on the line. But uh, we had a, a chat with uh, Ibo Mandaza uh, about uh, the constitution, the, rather the constitutional referendum that is taking place in Zimbabwe tomorrow. And this is what he had to say. I wasn't aware of the uh, limited number of ballot papers, but um, I can understand the context, uh, namely that uh, the referendum is a non-event. What, what do you mean it's about that? Event in that, in that? In that the process is led in, inadvertently to a consensus over the document, even before the referendum. Given, given the nature of the process, the inadvertent outcome of the process, in which all the parties, three parties, have agreed to the document, the the referendum is largely superfluous. So this talks to the credibility of uh, the referendum then tomorrow. How credible will this uh, referendum be then if there are uh, issues that you are raising right now? Uh, it's token, especially if, as you have indicated, if only a limited number of ballots have been done, and also, it's also clear to me that the turnout will be very low. But not a contentious issue like it was in 2000 when the the, the opposition uh, NDC used the the uh, occasion to launch themselves and to argue that if people yes, they were asking to accept the to be their life. So they even mobilize mobilizing platform. And even then, I think there was less than 20% turnout in, in, in 2000. Mm. And only the urban areas really were those who voted. So, if you work on the base of, uh, let's say, 20% turnout, you get roughly about 100,000 there. <laughs> mm. In your view and the sense that you are getting, what will be the outcome of the vote? Are the Zimbabweans going to vote yes or no? And what will be the implication of, of the vote tomorrow and the outcome of the vote? Yeah, well, I think basically the three parties and government as a whole, the GNU, are fighting hard for a yes vote. And no vote would, would, would scuttle the whole exercise so badly. So I think they've mobilized enough, notwithstanding the, 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 the limitations that we have referred to, notwithstanding the tokenism associated with this referendum, I think they have mobilized enough to outdo the no vote. Mm. But the turnout will be very small. And as you said, the credibility of the exercise will remain dubious at the end of it all, come Sunday or Monday. The other issue is that of uh, awareness by Zimbabweans of the content of uh, this uh, referendum. What do you know about that? How far do you think Zimbabweans know about uh, the contents of uh, the referendum? But importantly, if they understand it at all. Yeah, I don't think people understand because also the the constitution making in Zimbabwe has been largely a political affair in which incumbents and and those uh, once they get into power, have been have been in conflict. It's been less about the constitution than about the politics, the power politics. Mm. And indeed, as you suggest, as you suggest, constitutionalism in Zimbabwe is that is 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 it's very 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 limited in scope. Mm. 
very few. I, I, I addressed the meeting with about 700 people. When I asked the crowd, I don't know if you read the constitution, I, I saw about six, eight, eight, eight hands uh, raised. Right. You're talking about steamrolling and uh, uh, tokenism. It's, it's, it doesn't only reflect on the three parties, uh, but also it reflects on uh, SADC as well, because they have been at the forefront of, uh, of this process and also they are hoping for an election in Zimbabwe. Yeah, well, I think the whole thing is a farce. I mean, they're all full of being Harare, observers from the AU, from SADC. It's farcical and even pretentious in my view. It, it's, a, it's a reflection of the Zimbabwean process, I'm sorry to say. And even, even, and there's no, there's no, ask your other question, implied uh, question, there's no necessary correlation between the referendum and elections, really. And you may, you may not get elections this year for, for all that matters. There are other factors involved. There's, for one, there's a process uh, which has not been talked about, but which is implicit in all constitutional exercises, which is that you need to correlate or harmonize the old laws of the new constitution. In Kenya, that process took two years. When you sit to the legal legal mind there, they tell you uh, you need at least six months. Others say at least 18 months for the harmonization process. Ibo Mandaza is an independent political analyst in Zimbabwe. Well, let's talk now to the SABC's senior political reporter in Harare. That's uh, Mahlatse Kalens. What do you make of uh, this uh, analysis by uh, Ibo Mandaza? Does it tally up with uh, what you see and hear on the ground, uh, Mahlatse? Good afternoon, Bongi. You know, that is what we're hearing on the ground. A lot of Zimbabweans will be voting blindly to this constitution if they do go to the polls tomorrow because very few actually know what is contained in that uh, draft constitution that they have to vote for tomorrow. And very few people are excited even about it. Uh, You know, we've spoken to people over the past two days and people say they don't know what's in it. Some will say on camera or on tape that they will go and vote because uh, they have to go and do it. But those who are opposed to it, very reluctant to actually come out and actually uh, speak to us. Also, they're saying that, you know, all three political parties are in support of this document. So what is the point of all of us then uh, engaging in that process? So very little excitement. But also, if you drive around Zimbabwe uh, or Harare, you hardly see any poster that refers to the referendum. Uh, the Zimbabwe Electoral Commission has decided to put... Um, posters in the newspapers and that's about as much as uh, public awareness around this uh, referendum that we've seen. Mm, very interesting and and also in terms of uh, preparedness uh, what what can you tell us uh, referendum documents have they arrived voting stations uh, we, we heard of only 100,000 uh, papers that have been printed uh, but uh, you have about 4 million people there that uh, are eligible to vote. Would you to the Zimbabwean Electoral Commission to tell us how ready they are for tomorrow. But we did get a chance to speak to uh, Lindy Wazulu, who's the president, Jacob Zuma's special advisor. And she's saying that the brief she has is that they are ready for tomorrow's polls. They're saying that they're going to be printing out 12 million uh, ballot papers. They're saying that they've had enough money to buy the ink, which will be crucial. Um, they say that they're, during the week they had started distributing uh, the ballot papers across the 5,000 uh, 
polling stations that will be erected. But there was an issue of money. Remember, uh, they said that they'd only received about 31 million U.S. dollars uh, for this poll, and they had actually asked for more. So... Uh, the week they had said that they had bought uh, the printing paper, they've, uh, they've printed the ballot, uh, they've got the ink. But the key issue is paying the electoral officials that will actually be uh, manning the polling stations. That was money that they were still hoping to get for from uh, government. And whether that has come through, we'll only know later this afternoon. And uh, those who are opposed to this uh, referendum, what are they saying? Basically, they're saying that this has been a rush project. Um, they were saying that this, there was too little time to actually uh, talk, to, to actually uh, ensure that Zimbabweans feel that they own it. There was little consultation of ordinary people. It, was, it is basically a constitution by politicians for themselves and the people are expected to just follow through. The other major issue that they're raising is that it still retains the, uh, a president who is all too powerful with very little accountability and checks and balances because under this new constitution it does reduce the presidential terms to just two but in terms of power the president can still declare work he can actually dissolve parliament if for example they refuse to approve a budget and they're saying that this has been some of the problems that zimbabwe has experienced in the past few years and this constitution does not change that and how important is this vote for the Zimbabweans in particular, or Zimbabwe as a country, but uh, SADC, the entire region in general? For SADC, it's quite crucial because this is part of that long negotiations that they've had with the political Remember, this is part of the global political agreement that brought the political rivals into a unity government. And this paves the way for that election because Sadek wanted elections to happen under a new constitution. So this is quite important for them. And they're hoping it will be a yes vote. And then the process towards election would then start because after that, they will meet with the political rivals to actually do the roadmap to elections. So quite important for Sadek. It's been four years of hard negotiations major compromises as well from both sides. But in terms of Zimbabweans themselves, many people here are still more concerned about the state of the economy. Uh, Remember that things have turned a corner somewhat, but people are still struggling to survive under the economic conditions. And that's more important Zimbabweans, but also those that have been victims of Zimbabwe's bloody elections. Many of them are hoping that, you know, at least it should charge a new path for the country where you could have a peaceful election, a non-partisan security force, and people can just be able to say, we voted and the party that uh, gets the most votes actually wins and actually give the country political stability. But at the moment, we don't see that constitution uh, being able to give all of that. Thank you very much. Uh, that's uh, our senior political reporter in Harare, Mahlatse Kalins. And uh, what do you make of uh, that uh, Zimbabwe story? As you heard it from uh, Mahlatse Kalins and also Ibo Mandaza, uh, an independent political analyst based in Harare. You can SMS us now, 34701. I'll be reading uh, some of the SMSs that have come through in a short while. It's 12.30 now and it's time for the news headlines. Happy Friday to Asanda Matsavanyan. Happy Friday to you, Bongi. Thank you. At least 10 passengers have died in a bus accident on the N1 near Dodorans in the Hex River Valley. Western Cape Traffic Chief Kenny Africa says the driver apparently lost control of the bus. 
The Special Investigating Unit says procurement of government tenders has become the key territory for corruption in South Africa. The unit's Toyo Mnaba says tackling this issue is one of the SIU's key priorities. And lawyers in Pakistan say 16 health workers were suspended after being accused of helping an alleged CIA scheme to obtain blood samples from Osama bin Laden's family have now been reinstated by a court. For SAFM News, I'm Asanda Mazaunyane. Details at one. Over to you, Bongi. Thank you very much, Asanda. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks, you too. I will. Are you homeward bound this weekend? I am. Yeah, yeah I need to be. It's been hectic. <laughs> yeah, it's been a very <laughs> hectic week. But we'll see you on Monday. Yeah, see you Monday. All right. Enjoy it. Uh, Nancy Richards is on Otherwise. Is she on the line? No, Nancy is not on the line. But she is uh, on Otherwise between 1 and 2 this afternoon right here on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Maybe just uh, to read uh, two, three SMSs here. One coming from Sipio in KwaZulu-Natal. Limpopo ANC politics are very interesting, but we don't need to be told by a biased political analyst like Elvis Masoha on what should happen there. That's the view of us pure from KwaZulu-Natal. And Francis writes, good riddance to Castle Matale. ANC are welcome to have him. They can all continue their right. They are Okay. All right, Francis, <laughs> thank you very much for that SMS. As we heard uh, that uh, Castle Matala is offered to leave uh, as the premier of uh, the uh, of Limpopo, but uh, stay on as the chairperson of the ANC. That's uh, what uh, was in the newspapers yesterday. It's uh, 27 minutes to one. This is a midday live on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Let's uh, talk now to Hoffman Khaleng. He is the portfolio committee chairperson of uh, uh, Public Works, Roads and Transport in the Northwest Province. The state of roads will be under the spotlight in that province as the Provincial Legislature Portfolio Committee on Public Works, Roads and Transport conducts an oversight visit at Moradele Local Municipality. The committee also held a pre-oversight meeting at the Moradele Municipality and inspected quite a number of uh, roads there. Let's say good afternoon now to the uh, committee chairperson Hoffman Khaleng. Talk us through why conducting these uh, these uh, oversight visits. Uh, no, good afternoon and good afternoon to your listeners. Uh, no, we we just wanted to check and confirm for ourselves uh, because we we undertook the same uh, visit last year this time. And so, and the MEC for Public Works, Roads and Transport in Northwest uh, pronounced last year made that by the end of. Last year, December, the road of Sard uh, Dam will be completed, a number of other roads there, you see. So, but from the records which we are having uh, on papers, was that this department has spent only 29% of its budget. Now, to our dismay, that when we arrived there, we were firstly uh, very much disappointed to be... Uh, to have a, pres- a representation from the department led by junior staff mm. who could not able to answer and give us any clear information as to what the department has done. And this has been really our worry from what the department every time they will do to us, you see. Okay, okay. Uh, now, Mr. Uh, Khaleng... The roads which they were saying, uh, they will be completed by last day. It is not even at the stage of planning let alone of advertisement and all those. At the stage of claiming. What are you going to do about this? Somebody should be fired for this, don't you think? No, definitely. Then, it's, then you see must be fired. 
then this is what we have been saying. You are having the MEC who has who has no clue what is happening in the department. Totally has no clue whatsoever. Mm. And we can say we can do whatever we like. You will never able to assist that MEC. The poor MEC is not capable, unfortunately. He doesn't know what to do. You you have the, the, the oversight uh, powers uh, here. So now are you going to put this to the provincial uh, legislature that uh, the yes. MEC must go? Oh, yes, we are going to do that, definitely. But broadly, talk us through the state of uh, roads there in, in the northwest. What, you, 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 you're saying that last day you undertook this uh, same similar kind of, uh, kind of approach of oversight. What has changed uh, from last year to this year where you visited, no. but generally across the province? Well, what has changed the roads are terrible more than what they were last year. They are bad, completely deteriorated. Where even the commuters are demanding that the number of roads be uh, made gravel roads because they would be better on the state of being gravel roads rather than these potholes all over. Mm. You see, there is that demand, especially on all those roads which we have been undergoing the roads of Sarkop, the road of, the road of uh, Pelat, Boswook, and even the bridge at the breast there. You see, it's collapsing. When you when you engage when you engage with the with the MEC there, what does it tell you? No, the MEC on number of occasions when we when we call him, uh, he will never appear before the committee. If he appears at, uh, accidentally, he will lie to the committee. Unfortunately, mm. and and telling uh, us the things which are telling us the things which are not there, and trying to insist that no. This will happen this time and what if we like in January. In January, he told us that you know, the road of uh, Costa to Lichtenberg uh, by February, uh, the contract will be there. But up until this today, the contract is not there. It's not true. But and we told him that he's not telling us the truth. But surely this uh, goes right up to the Premier as well. I'm sure the Premier, uh, Tandy Modesa, there uh, should have uh, acted a long time ago if this has been brought to her attention already. Now, I, I'm not sure for what reasons the Premier is still keeping this. You see, I'm not sure really. Because the Premier, even uh, on his response to the State of the Province address, the Premier was uh, trying to dispute that you know, the department has spent uh, 59%. This is what the, the Premier said. And my new, the, the minimum expenditure expected by the national government is that each department in the, enti- in the entire country must have spent by this time, as I've spent 25%. Now, how can you be proud to say your, your, one of your MECs have spent 59%? It is far, far from below. Mm. Even with that figure alone, which is not correct, but even with that figure, it warrants a dismissal to this MEC. We thank you very much. Hoffman Khaleng is uh, the Portfolio Committee chairperson there talking about the state of uh, the roads in the northwest. If you know how bad or how good, as we hear right now, very terrible roads there in uh, in the northwest, please SMS us and let us know 34701. And perhaps even the roads to avoid there. As we told, uh, some people are even preferring that uh, at least if it was gravel, it would have been better than the potholes that uh, they experience today. The end-
Endangered Wildlife Trust has partnered with Education for Nature Vietnam, a Vietnamese non-profit NGO, to develop a hard-hitting rhino protection campaign for countries where rhino horn is in great danger, uh, rather great demand, starting with Vietnam. Renette Kutsier, project executive of the EWT's law and policy program, says her organization is extremely excited about the partnership. She joins us on the line. Good afternoon to you, uh, Ms. Kutsier. Good afternoon and good afternoon to all the listeners. Unpack this partnership for us. What uh, What is it all about? Well, what we've done um, to start off with is we've developed two posters um, that carry both English and Vietnamese messages on them. And the main message is basically saying, say no to rhino horn uh, to help us save our rhinos. So what we're doing is we're asking um, and inviting the Vietnamese people to say no to the use of rhino horn in Vietnam and by that way, helping us to actually save our rhinos from from, uh, becoming extinct. Um, And it's an invitation to all Vietnamese people. And um, also the one poster is um, also uh, aimed towards the moms that um, research has shown are using rhino horn in their children's bedrooms to try and um, ward off childhood diseases. And we're saying, you know, if every time a rhino uh, cow is killed, there's a rhino orphan out there that's growing up without a mother. So mm. would you like your child to grow up as an orphan? And obviously the answer is no. And so in that way, by not using a rhino horn, um, you can actually help us to prevent more orphans from being created on this side. Hard hitting indeed. But why Vietnam? Well, currently, um, research has shown, research done by um, uh, two NGOs, uh, three NGOs in Vietnam, that would be Traffic, WWF, and Education for Nature Vietnam, has shown that um, the Vietnamese people are currently the most um, prolific users of rhino horn. And um, there's still a study underway um, by Traffic and WWF to find exactly how and where the rhino horns are going. So we know the Chinese people use very, very little rhino horn at this stage. They use it mainly for traditional medicine. And the rhino horn that they use, you know, if they have one horn, it'll probably last them up to 30 years because they use such minute quantities. But the major drivers right now are, are the Vietnamese people, and that is what research has shown us. So that is why we started in Vietnam mm. with our campaign and working with an NGO that's based in Vietnam because we're not there and they are there and they understand the people and they understand how the messages can get out. This is a, 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 at NGO level, but are you going to push it up to a government to government level and make sure that it happens? Well, we, we're trying to do that. We, we're busy um, working with traffic on how we can actually approach the Vietnamese government as well. You know that our government signed an MOU with Vietnam last year, um, and the MOU is, is, is quite broad, but it also includes uh, the protection of rhinos. And the MOU is about protecting biodiversity and the illegal t- against the illegal trade in various biodiversities. So that's already a very strong document that's gone forward, and, and we really applaud our government and the Vietnamese government for signing that document. And we're hoping to actually work with our ambassador to Vietnam as well. We've already sent him a letter inviting him to come on board with our with our campaign in Vietnam and to work with both both us and some of the the Vietnamese NGOs that are uh, are looking at um, helping us to save the rhinos. So yes, we, we will be escalating it. All right. And uh, are you getting any buy-in from government there, from respected Vietnamese? Um, not yet. I think it's too early. The campaign launched, launched on Wednesday, so I think it's still early days. And um, we're hoping that we will. Um, I, I think the, the prime minister or the minister that works with wildlife in Vietnam is, is very open to ways of um, campaigning um, to actually help 
uh, prevent you know illegal horns from entering the country. So I think he's very open to that. So I think um, it's early days, uh, but we're hoping that he will come on board, and we're hoping that working with um, very powerful NGOs like the ones that we are working with will actually open up some doors for us there. Renette Kutsia is Project Executant of the Endangered Wildlife Trust. Thank you very much for talking to us. It's uh, 17 minutes now to one right here on Midday Live. Let's cross now to the dealing room and say good afternoon to Sudhir Singh of uh, Sasfin Securities. It's the weekend. How are we trading, Sudhir? Well, Bongi, uh, global markets uh, are making solid gains this morning on the back of uh, U.S. data showing a steady recovery in the U.S. economy. However, European stocks uh, are rather unchanged as regional governments ease constraints on national budgets amid uh, concern over the euro area. Over on Wall Street, uh, stocks advanced last night, lifting the S&P 500 to within an all-time high as investors welcomed uh, U.S. jobless claims numbers, which were last seen at these levels during the expansion phase of the prior two economic expansions. Taking a look at the U.S. stock futures, it is pointing to further gains later on this afternoon. Locally, the JSC has edged higher this morning with gains in the platinum and resource counters. However, we are seeing some softness in the retail space on the back of a slowdown in retail sales. On the corporate front, uh, events reported a 48% increase in first-half earnings with a strong two-year order book of around 40 billion rands. Taking a look at uh, the local indices, we've got uh, the gold index, which is up uh, almost half a percent. Resource 10 index is up almost a percent. The industrial 25 index is up 0.2%. The financial index is down 0.2%. And overall, the market is up around 108 points, or 0.3%, to 41,016. And stocks on the move? On the upside, we have uh, Avent, which is up uh, just over 2%, uh, 37 rands and 80 cents. Sappy is up almost 2% at 29 rands and 30 cents. Discovery is up almost 1.5% at 80 rands and 10 cents. Able is up almost a percent at 29 rands and 70 cents. And on the downside, we have PPC, which is down 2% at 33 rands and 70 cents. Woolworths is down just over 1% at 69 rands and 30 cents. ShopRite is down 0.4% at 175 rands. And lastly, we have Marianne Roberts, which is down 0.2% at 24 rands and 60 cents. And uh, your latest market indicators, Sudhir? Currently, we have uh, gold, which is trading at uh, $1,592.80 an ounce. Platinum is at uh, $1,594.50 an ounce. Brent crude is at $109.32 per barrel. And finally, we have the rand, which is trading at 9 rand 20 cents to the dollar. 13 rands, 90 cents to the pound, and 12 rands to the euro. That's it for me, Bongi. Have a good weekend. Thank you very much. Enjoy your weekend, Sudhir Singh of Sasfin Securities. Just a couple of SMSs quickly. As you heard, uh, the uh, chairperson of the Portfolio Committee on Public Works, Roads and Transport in the Northwest saying that the MEC must go, and they're pushing for that. A couple of SMSs coming through. Uh, this one coming from uh, DC saying that I was uh, arriving on uh, Costa Road just now. It's terrible. And another one saying, uh, I'm in Matibeng, the potholes on the roads uh, going to Borakalalo, uh, passing through Matinyane, Lejonyane and Jericho are horrible. MEC must go. That's Lesejo there. Alistair uh, wrote in saying that I'm traveling between Freiburg and Taung on the way to Kimberley and the road is fine. 
Right, so let's uh, talk Zimbabwe quickly before we talk sport with uh, Janet. Uh, in Sadek, uh, is Sadek really serious about uh, the goings-on in Zimbabwe? I just wonder, that's uh, anonymous. Zimbabwe's, Zimbabweans will vote yes, just as a roadmap to outvote Mugabe. However, the elections won't be free and fair. Even uh, ANC are part of uh, election there. Unfortunately, that's a dawa there. And uh, this one from Enoch, the last one, saying that people must know that there will never be regime change in Zimbabwe, MDC has already been outdone by ZANU-PF. That's Inuk. That's where we leave all your SMSs, but uh, just one tweet here as we uh, talk to Janet coming from Sia saying that note that UEFA Champions League quarterfinals and semi-final draw is today at 1300. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. There have been some amazing <laughs> matches, fascinating matches. How was Barcelona? How was Arsenal? <laughs> <laughs> That was actually, I mean, that, everybody had written off Arsenal when they went into that game. I mean, it was just a done deal. They were just going there because they had to play. And they played. It was quite something. <laughs> they played. <laughs> well, we're not used to seeing that from Arsenal this season. Yeah, okay. All right, let's... Uh, <laughs> Janet, Whitten, <laughs> Janet Whitten is SABC Deputy Sport Editor. Let's uh, let's talk, let's start with rugby. I know I'm looking forward to the Brumbies and the Sharks tomorrow, but what has happened since this morning? Cheetahs won again. Lovely. Can you believe it? 27-26, that, ma- that match finished just a few uh, minutes uh, ago. Ace Makashule st- must be ecstatic. <laughs> They started where they left off, two quick tries. Then uh, the Brumbies kind of found some gaps and uh, managed to just go into the lead by halftime. They were kind of kicking to stay ahead, but Raymond Rule scored twice. He scored two tries. He had an absolutely great game. He's going to be a player to watch this season. Scored the second try of the night. They went back into the front with 10 minutes to go and managed to hold on. 27-26. Two wins on the road for the Cheetahs. Not bad. Not bad. Earlier game was between the Highlanders and the Hurricanes. The Hurricanes came out 23-19 winners there, winning by three tries to nil. There's one more match today, tonight. The Southern Kings against the Chiefs. The Kings' third home game on the trot. This is going to be a difficult one for them Mm. um, because what's been their uh, sort of standout so far has been their defence. They've been they have such an organised defence, and that's kind of managed to keep them in all the game. They managed to keep the the Sharks out completely last week, even though they didn't win the game. The Sharks couldn't score a try. The Chiefs have a great attacking game, um, and it's going to test that defence big time. It's going to be interesting to see tonight. All right, so, so tomorrow also, what's the lineup for tomorrow? Crusaders against the Bulls in the morning. That's the first game. The Crusaders haven't won yet, but nobody can really explain why. <laughs> it's kind of one of those strange things because they've got this this amazing team and they're playing kind of kind of quite nice rugby, mm. but they're not actually getting results to show for it. The Bulls, however, have been impressive. I mean, that was a great win last, last week oh, against the Blues. Nice. So that could I think that could be the match of the weekend. The second match is the Reds against the Force, an all-Australian game, and then tomorrow evening the Sharks against the Brumbies. Both teams. Big injury problems. Keegan Daniels is back for the Sharks. They haven't though. been beaten though, both of them. But the Sharks have played two trialless matches. Yeah. No tries so far in those but two that matches. That explains so. nothing. No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean anything. If you get you get points on the board, the Crusaders have scored tries. They haven't won anything yet. So yes, points means points. Doesn't matter where they come from, does it? Right. Six Nations, by the way, this weekend. Yes. There's one big game. It's mm-hmm. worth mentioning because the 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 match between the Wales against England is the only one that matters. If England win, they win the Grand Slam. If they lose by less than six points, they still win 
the title. Wales have to win by more than eight points, then they can win the title. If Wales win by seven points, it goes down to tries scored. Who cares Amazing. about the Northern Hemisphere <laughs> anyway? Yeah, a number good. of cricket tests happening around the world, but uh, also there is uh, one day is happening. There are cricket tests happening all over the place. In Wellington, England playing against New Zealand. New Zealand 63 for, 66 for three in reply to England's 465 all out. Trot scored, Compton scored, Pryor scored, Martin took some wickets. A couple of, it's a South Africa versus South, South Africa seconds against South Africa thirds playing down there. It's very funny. I like funny. it when you put it like that. Yes. <laughs> in the, in Barbados, the West Indies beat Zimbabwe by nine wickets. Uh, Zimbabwe just not up to scratch there. And then the third test is underway at the moment again. In uh, between Australia and uh, India in Mahali. The first day completely rained out by rain. Australia on our 266 for seven. That's a pretty good comeback from India, actually, because Australia started really well. Ed Cowan and David Warner um, um, scoring runs right at the top of the innings, but India have come back well. The second ODI this afternoon, South Africa against Pakistan in Centurion. I still think we've got it. Dale Stane is back. Mm -hmm. I think it's ours. So we win five, we go back. If it's a whitewash. If we were, if we win all five, then we go back to being at the top. Yes. Top of uh, test and one. And day. one day, and That's and still useless at T20. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares about that? But anyway, uh, these Zimbabwean cricketers are in Barbados, so uh, definitely they're not going to vote in the country's uh, no. new constitutional <laughs> referendum tomorrow. No, they're or not. Maybe they will yeah. be allowed. I think they probably want to come back though, uh, after that performance. Exactly. And let's talk uh, the Nedbank Cup. One match tonight, Mamelodi Sundowns against Golden Arrows. Um, I think that should be Sundowns game. It's been played at Loftus. But after considering that, that goal, yeah. <laughs> they haven't recovered Sundowns. <laughs> that goal. I mean, nobody. I don't know if anybody's ever going to recover from watching that goal. There is a good game tomorrow. Well, two good games. Two interesting games tomorrow, actually. There are three games. The first game, Joma Cosmos against United FC. Then it's the Free State Derby. Free State Stars against Bloemfontein Celtics. So that could be a good game. And then tomorrow evening, Kaiser Chiefs against Pol- Kwane City. Bulakwane City is just such a nice story, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, four months after that accident Tragic in which accident, some of their players yes. were killed, and they're sitting here and they're coming here to, well, they're not coming here, they're going to the Mo- Moses Mabida Stadium yes. to play against Kaiser Chiefs. That's quite a story. But, but, I mean, really, why Kaiser Chiefs? Oh, well, I don't know who, who made the, 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 the fixtures. Why take it to Durban when it's a, a Buluk- the, These guys will have to travel again. I mean, I think that will come back, when, particularly when they well, pass Kaiser the Kaiser Chiefs the second home ground after the uh, FNB uh, Stadium yeah. is in Polokwane and that's taking it back to Polokwane because they're playing in Polokwane City so they couldn't play there. Why didn't they take it to Polokwane? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why they did that. I mean, yeah, they, they should have actually, because it would have been nice to nice for them to actually just say, you know, I know it's our home game, but yeah, let's mm, play there. Okay. Yeah. You wanna, you wanna, uh, and what else is there? Um, so there's ch- there's some some continental African uh, fixtures this weekend as well. Uh, before we move on to other sports in the CAF Champions League, uh, Lando Pirates travel to Zambia to play Zanaco, and then in the Confederations Cup Super Sport up against Atletico Petroleos of Angola. So we can watch out for those scores as well. Other so, there's tennis. Rafael oh, yes, Nadal yes. beat Roger Federer this morning. And uh, our own Kevin is really cruising. Ke- Kevin did, absolutely. He lost, unfortunately, in the quarterfinals against Thomas Burdish. Thomas Burdish is one of his bogey players. Mm. Um, he, 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 he doesn't have the game to play against but he him. Was he needs all to the be, way to the quarters. Yeah, he needs to be more defensive to be able to play against Burdish. But to get through to the quarters of a, of a Masters 1000 event, I mean, he played really well. Great beat David Ferrer, beat Gilles Simon. There were some good wins for him. Rafa Nadal against Roger Federer. Federer was a bit kind of out of sorts. He's got a 
bit of a niggly back problem and he wasn't looking great, but he certainly wasn't making excuses. Nadal looked really good. The other two quarterfinals are tonight, Djokovic against Songa, Murray against Del Potro, and the women's semifinals, Wozniacki against Kerber and Kirilenko against Sharapova. All right, we thank you very much, Janet Vitin, for enlightening us going into the weekend. Formula in- One, by the way. Yeah, quick, I quick, forgot to mention quickly, that. Quickly, quickly. Sorry. Five seconds. Sebastian Vettel, fastest in practice ahead of the Australian Grand Prix in Melbourne. Okay. Thank you very much, uh, Janet Vitin. Time now for Create with Michelle Constant. Create is proudly presented by Business and Arts South Africa, bringing the business of the arts and the art of business together. Last night saw the opening of photographer Guy Tillam's sole exhibition at the Stevenson Gallery in Johannesburg. Titled Libreville, the exhibition features a series of photographic images taken from Libreville, the capital of Gabon. Tillam, who was part of the photo collective Afropix in the mid-80s, describes the inspiration for his work. I've been working on landscape for some time. You know, landscape particularly interested me because it's quite difficult not to lift the camera to your eye and, and sort of convey cliches. For example, you know, mountain is big, me small try and convey ideas of scale, you know, tries to dispense with those notions and get to a place where, you know, someone could look at a picture and not really know exactly why it's photographed. They could move within that space, enter it as it were, and therefore see things that they perhaps weren't expecting. According to Tillam, when photographing landscapes in these unknown places, he aims to let the image talk for itself. These places, for example, I, I don't know them, I've never been there before, I spend a lot of time just walking, so I walk for a week or two and I just walk until I get tired and just see what I come across. But thinking about landscape and how to be in a place without projecting or trying to tell someone or a viewer how to see certain thing. I try to let the place kind of speak through you, which like then begs the question, like, who are you? The photographer often examines the modern history of Africa against the backdrop of colonial and post-colonial architectural heritage. It's easy to look at the colonial past and relegate it to the time of oppression, sort of a dominion over peoples, but it undeniably becomes part of our identity, and our identity is hybrid. I see that in spaces in Africa. We can't relegate them to some past. They're part of our present and they get reinvented and reformed. And they're very interesting spaces because they're part of something new. It's free. They carry our aspirations, our hopes, like the past catastrophes of the 50 years. They also carry those scars. So they're monuments to themselves. Fellow photographer Liam Lynch, who has worked with Tillam in the past, describes his favourite work of the exhibition and says that he finds it intriguing to see how Tillam has grown as an artist. There are two boys on the side of the frame. It's old intercontinental hotel and I saw the work online first and I didn't really know what to expect because you can't see the detail I mean with the things they're about a meter high and it's astonishing the amount of detail that's in and I've recently started printing my work smaller than the larger size that I used to go to but seeing guys work in these massive landscapes and the way things are balanced there are smaller figures that you can see in intimate detail in a large image but you can't interact with them on a printed page or anything so it's nice to see it like this and it makes me curious about the details in some of my photographs that would then leap up if they were printed that size. I was in an agency with Guy and it was a documentary background so you're always building on your own style and approach based on what other people are doing and then watching certain people grow as artists people who had a very strict journalistic mindset like Guy for me that's intriguing because photographers like that who still at least in my eyes hold true to 
the same ideals that got me into photography in the first place reassure me as to the idea that I can still grow as an artist in the same way that they are growing. Lynch also currently has an exhibition on a room gallery in Johannesburg titled There and Then, which features some of his previous and ongoing works. It's to gather funds for a business. So all of the prints in the exhibition are prints that have already been made and are leftovers from various exhibitions. So it was kind of an obstacle that I'd set for myself in that it's work that I pulled together that represented an arc. And it was also a way of me then reveling in the fact that here's something tangible and physical and I can put on a show and then that I can now leave it behind. And it gives me time to then move forward from now on and realize, okay, I've done this, I can go on. Libreville will be running at the Stevenson Gallery in Johannesburg until the 19th of April. I'm Michelle Constant. This feature was produced by Monique Stander and you can email me on create at barsa.co.za. Create, proudly brought to you by Business and Arts South Africa. Creating new opportunities for business arts partnerships. Email create at baza.co.za. Lots of SMSs coming through about uh, the roads conditions in uh, the Northwest uh, Province, uh, including that one that says Hoffman Haleng's company left a sewerage project a mess in Blomhof. Uh, what a hypocrite, it's unsigned. You heard uh, Hoffman Haleng calling for the MEC there to go. He is the chairperson of uh, the Portfolio Committee on Roads. So I'll be reading these M- SMSs on Monday, I promise you. It's quite a lot of them on uh, just how bad the roads are in the Northwest Province. And uh, the team today... Only Nomaliza Mandela is a producer there. And of course, uh, there's a senior producer, Tabiso Tserema. But a technical producer today is Ndogozo Kuzuayo and our executive producers, Busi Chane and uh, Aubrey Setia. My name is Bongi Kuala. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy cricket in the next hour or so. We shall do it again next week between 12 and 1. Take care. Bye-bye.